Liam Balagay. In New York, so good to have you with us. Uh, Award-winning analyst, journalist, author, CBS family as well, family of all of us. Family for me, even longer, because we were at Sky together back. We were talking about this in the car on the way over here, I think 10 years ago, maybe? Something like that, right? Even more, yeah, around that, yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Where we did uh, Sky together, we did Spanish football together. Uh, that was my first gig hosting live football. I'd never hosted live football. I'd always done sports news, anything like that, but that was my first gig doing sports, live sports, and you made it very easy for me. I'm grateful to you. Made it fun. Uh, because we got that friendship going on, can I ask you something? Yeah. Can I sit there or there? What? What? Why? <laughs> you don't like the middle seat? It's like not just a middle seat, just a. I prefer to ask the questions, but uh, <laughs> <I don't mind. laughs> do you remember what you told me the first day they came to the uh, to the show? No. Because of course I have been doing it. Uh, I started in the Sky '97, so a lot. You were the king of that show. We, you were the don. For for a long time, yeah, and shaped it to be a little bit different, and yeah. and uh, already wearing different clothes. And I remember wearing leather jackets, and the producers going like, "No, no leather jackets, man." I mean. We got this other blue jacket that you can wear. So it was a constant <laughs> battle as it's been since in terms of wearing clothes. But, uh, but you came over, you sat, and you said, before they put you the microphone and everything, I said, um, would you help me? Would you help me? Just it's my first gig presenting. And, uh, and I'm thinking, don't say that. I was going to say exactly the same to you because you, <laughs> you were so smooth as you, you were ready top in the way you were doing things. And I'm thinking, don't give me weakness. I want strength here. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I think I, 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 I hide that and uh, just became the strong one for the first couple of shows. And after that, it was it was flying, say flying. It was that easy to do it with you, that easy. Guillaume makes it easy to do any show with him because you, you function in every role. That's the great thing about you. You can be the interview, you can sit where we are, but you can also be the host, you can also be the analyst. So I just got to sit back. I enjoyed myself. Do you have a, do you have a preference in those different roles? I, I, I'm not the story, uh, so I'd rather, I'd rather tell the story. If, if I'm something, is a storyteller. I've, I've, more, than, more than an interviewer, you would consider yourself, a, or a newsbreaker, you would consider yourself a storyteller. I, I love chatting. So I love, I've, I love interviewing people and discovering people and, and uh, creating magic. You know that moment that you do so often of, uh, where you forget that you've been filmed and, and things come up that you don't expect. And that has happened sometimes where, where you hear something that, that makes you feel emotional or, or, or it's completely off course. When you do that, that is great. Uh, but I, first and foremost, I'm a storyteller in whatever format, in books, podcasts, television, whatever. And, and this may shock you a bit, but um, I, I don't love football. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm not passionate about the game. Uh, it's it's something I'm thankful to the game for what's allowed me to to do. And I'm a chairman of a football club, and and I've got my coaching badges, and all I've been doing since '95, '96, it's football. But it's been an excuse to actually get to know people, elite people, how you think, how you got to where you got to, uh, the people that help you. The, uh, the stories of games, that, that has been uh, my, my real passion. It's a shock, it's a sh complete shock to me that you don't yeah. love football, considering that you're everywhere, you know, you watch the David Beckham uh, documentary series, you're there right. asking hey, questions. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, whenever there's a Lionel Messi topic, debate, you're at the center of it. So when was that breakthrough for you 
in this space of football that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be storytelling within football. That, that is interesting because uh, I get a lot of young journalists saying, you know, I want to do what you do. My first answer is, well, I do what I do, so you're going to have to wait. <laughs> but, uh, but then it's like, why do you want to become a football journalist that talks about big stars and does it in a television show or whatever? Why, why don't you become a, a journalist first, somebody that prepares him, himself to, uh, for whatever may come? Because eventually you don't, it has happened to me, you don't choose your career, you don't choose where you go, you just go along with it and be prepared for it. And, and that happened, uh, Sky was the big, the big uh, breakthrough. So I, uh, I was living in England with, uh, my brother was there as well, heard that a Spanish radio show, we, we're massive on radio and football radio shows are the biggest shows that are even ahead of television. And one radio show that gets broadcasted at midnight was done from London that particular day. And my brother said, come over, let's go. We went and there was some Got it, some guy there that actually studied with me said, I'm doing, I'm the editor of this magazine, football magazine called Don Ballon. Mm. I'll talk about football, English football, great. And then a year later, Sky started doing Spanish football. So I rang them and I said, uh, right, I'm the correspondent of Don Ballon uh, and I want to write about what you do in Sky about Spanish football. Dave Lawrence, uh, can't remember if he was producing when you were there, no. Dave Lawrence was the producer. Now, this is how I remember it, and I spoke to Dave about this is, this is not how it happened, but I don't care. This is how I'm going to always tell the story. <laughs> Which is that uh, he said, OK, yeah, come over on a Saturday and we'll show you what we do. So I went in and I, I didn't have big, good clothes or, you know, so I asked a friend of mine to give me some, like, you know, the presence is always important. But he was 20 stone, and I was thin, so the back was like this. It was a big jacket. I was wearing, I was, had long, longer hair, big, big glasses. Went in. And Dave says, uh, right, well, this is the gallery. This is where the producers are, directors, da da da. Um, this is the presenter, David Bobbin, and this is where you sit next to him. The show is a start, starting in half an hour. Oh, what? And I'm going, uh, you've done this before, hundreds of times. I said, that was my debut on television. Oh, wow. Uh, and <laughs> half, at halftime of that game, I cannot remember what the game was, uh, he said, well, we're thinking of doing a, uh, a show in Spanish football, highlights and whatever, you want to do it? And I went like, yeah. He'd asked about three other people and they all said no. If one of them had said yes. You wouldn't be there. The story would have been completely different. But what happens when you're on television, uh, you enter different, uh, era and a different world, really, because you start knocking doors and just because you're in television, you can go to a training session, you can go to the, to the, uh, to the sporting city of a big club, you can, as, it has happened, I've never met the you before. The access that it gives you. Yeah. Right. And we're talking to each other as best mates because we see each other on television. So the first time I went to, I was in Liverpool at the time, I went to Melwood and Stevie G and Jamie Carragher were like, oh, hello, Guillaume. And it's like, I've never ever met you, but of course, through television. Jamie was friendly. Jamie was very friendly <laughs> that what? time. Wow. That time. One of the hardest <laughs> moments in my career was because of Jamie, but that's a different story. So I was very close to Rafa Benitez when Jamie was obviously playing former for Liverpool Rafa, manager. former Liverpool right. manager. And uh, Rafa and I were very, very close. And he would talk to me all the time about things that were going on. And I had uh, this column in the Daily Mirror, which is a tabloid magazine in, in the UK. 
where I told a story that happened in the changing room at Liverpool. Uh, now, the, the Daily Mirror just edited completely different, added new words, made it even more spectacular than it was. But the essence of the story was there. And Jamie went into the changing room when everybody was there and went to Rafa and says, Rafa, knowing that we had a relationship, you should stop talking to this. And he used some words that we cannot use here. Oh, oh we can, can actually, them. yeah, we yeah. can. I've seen that you <laughs> use those words. So, so go ahead. <laughs> Let's hear them. <laughs> we need color to this story, so give it all. Go ahead. Uh, oh, they don't no, come you don't natural. They don't come natural. But it was like, stop talking to him. And Rafa hadn't told me that story. But he looked around in the changing room, and he knew who had. And looked at him, and the player went like this. And Rafa said, yeah, it was me. Apologies, apologies to everyone. It was me. I will not talk to him ever again. Sorry, Jamie. And uh, and he said it was Riera, the player. Says uh, Rafa said to Riera, Riera, can can you stay behind? Let's have a word. <laughs> uh, and then Rafa went to me like, I'm never ever gonna speak to you. I cannot believe you put this in the paper. Uh, Jamie thinks that you're a trouble. They don't want you near Melwood ever again. And uh, I said, but Rafa, we speak every day. Yeah, but that's different. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> but you know, that's an interesting part of uh, talking to, to you. And I'm not sure how you deal with a journalist that is so much in, especially if it doesn't tell you a story or exposes you. I imagine that you found yourselves in this situation. Do you blame the journalist or do you blame yourself for having got into trouble, what do you do? No, they blame the journalist. 100%. <laughs> it's never our fault. We're the messenger. How could it be our fault? That's crazy. But you did, you did do whatever thing you did. Yeah, do, you, but... do you ever feel uncomfortable, though, publishing stories and feeling like, man, I'm, I'm compromising this player? We publish, I publish. 10% of what I know. Uh, and I think, I guess, that's, that's what develops relationships. You, you, you don't tell everything. You just tell things that uh, serve a purpose for the story or for the moment or the place you are or, or what you're talking about, so... You ever got that judgment wrong? Uh, yeah, once that I, it came to my head, I, I completely forgot about it. Thank you very much, Kate. <laughs> uh, with David Beckham and Fabio Capello. Uh, David and I had a really good relationship. I saw him recently uh, in Milan and he was... Uh, he's lovely. He really is lovely. And, he straight away, because uh, we were doing Revista de la Liga, we were the only place in the UK where you could tell what was going on in Spain. So he knew that, that through me, his story will come out into the UK, whatever he's doing in, in, with Real Madrid when he went there. And then, of course, when he signs for the LA Galaxy, Fabio Capello, thinking that he was going to be stopping the professional that he is, pushes him aside and starts training on his own. And some of the conversations that happened there with, uh, with Fabio and him were, he just could not understand it. It just drove him mad. It was so unfair. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, okay, I am actually going because I feel it's the right time and there was a lot of reasons for it and he explains it in the documentary. But um, I use some of that stuff to tell how unfair it was because obviously everybody bought the Fabio Capello stroke club version right. that David wasn't, wasn't going to be having the head on it. And I was trying to say, no. And David told this to Fabio, and Fabio still... Blah, blah, blah. And uh, Fabio went to him the next day and says, uh, David, in that meeting in which I told you this, there was only you 
and me. And I did not tell that story. So it was you. You do it again, and you're out. And he was already was out. So out, out of where he was was like out of the training out, ground. Out. Right. So, so David you know, told me off and said, no, no, this is not it. And you know how it goes with you. It's black and white. You get it wrong once, then you're You lose trust. Yeah. You're gone. You're gone, Andrew. You're gone. Your trust is out. I mean, how can you trust someone if you feel that you can tell them some of these things in confidence, knowing what they do, and then all of a sudden, when, when it, I think the moment asks for it, at least from, from the public's point of view, and that writer or journalist puts it out there, and you're like, whoa. Don't you, as the player, then have the responsibility to be very specific about, hey, the, this, this part isn't for public consumption? Well, you, I think in a lot of cases, you assume that they wouldn't cross the line. Do all players have this? Does every player, or do a lot of players have this? A, a journalist that they consider their go-to person? I know you're like, hell no, because you, you had no trust in media. I wouldn't say that, but I just, I just kind of stuck to myself. I didn't play the game. I was just kind of like, well, you know, hopefully I'm good enough that I play well enough that, that I, I continue playing. You know yeah, what I mean? Did, I, you, did I, you speak to somebody? No. I didn't have a journalist that I would call or you just through playing you see familiar faces the journalists that are trying to create that relationship and you're like all right this person's cool or, or they've they've they wrote something nice about you that your your parents are, feel proud about and you're like all right this I respect this journalist you know he, they're always trying to to shape it in a positive way even if you don't have a good game versus the journalist that's like horrible change them take them out you know so I understand the connection, but at the same time, you're like, you keep a little bit of a distance. I, I think it's, uh, it's, I've seen both, I've seen all of that, right? Like there's some players who are very clever and as much as you're saying, you're giving them information with the trust that they're not gonna put everything out there. There's also players who are using them. Because to shape the narrative. Yeah, they're right. feeding them information that they know they want to get out there. Or whether it's to get more playing time, whether it's whether to it's get just moves to, away from the club or whether it's to get yeah. a new deal. So it's like it's a it's a relationship that it's a tricky one because to Guillaume's point, it is as soon as that trust is betrayed, it's a wrap. But, but it's not it's not easy because it's very tricky because I've I've got lots of friends in in the game, loads, and they tell me lots of stories. They never tell me this is what you can say. This, this is, is what on you the can record. Say. Right. This is off yeah. the record. You develop relationships based on that trust. But there are times, uh, I wouldn't say, oh, but don't forget that I'm a journalist when I'm talking to you. Do forget it, please, because I'm not a journalist first. I'm a person who I know you're going through your own thing. So I'd rather help if I can with that than, than put, publish a story. But sometimes the stories get published. And I haven't got it wrong many times, but, but it's a tricky um, line that, that, that you sometimes cross. And yeah, it will affect you or it will affect you and you only realize that I was doing it for you, for you good, 10 years down the line, which has happened as well. I've, I've, I've had many nights not sleeping because I got the text that, that destroyed me or said, you know, I, I got it wrong or whatever it was. It just kills, kills you, I cannot deal with that. So even now I wouldn't, I wouldn't use some of the stuff that I know uh, because that may just upset somebody that may haven't met for 20 years, may not meet again. But if I feel that somebody will just have something against me, I'll hate it, I cannot deal with it. 
So imagine being a journalist that you have to put stories out there and you yeah, cannot deal with it. That's know? such a tough <laughs> balance to, to try to, to figure out. Not easy. So in the Jamie story that you tell, he obviously pinpointed Rafa Benitez in his mind as the guy that was talking to the journalist. I guess I'm interested, like from the locker room perspective, do you guys always feel like you have a sense of this story's come out this morning? We, we all know. We know who it was. There's, there's always people that you know are a little bit more friendly. Some people keep it under wraps, but you always have a sense of like guys who are a little bit more friendly with the media or after training or, or in the mix zone after a game. It's like, he's, he's still talking to him a little you bit. You judging that? I'm not judging to each their own. But when a story comes out now. Oh, you no, the, it, you, it's, it sounds you like you're you judging. You can read it. You can <laughs> see the mannerisms, that just how they interact, and you're like, oh, they got a real thing going on there. Like, that's a relationship. And that's a problem to the rest of the locker room? It depends on what's being leaked. Like, it depends on what's come out in the paper. If it's something that's in sports, in, in most, like, any kind of, I think, organization where you feel like you have that quote-unquote brotherhood or that, that tight-knit community, there's certain things that just aren't spoken, that just don't leave that, that circle. Yeah. So when you feel like that's, that level of trust has been breached, then it's like, wait, hold on, wait a minute. Oh, wait, well, yeah, it always oh. depends on who leaks the story, where did it come from, and you can kind of start narrowing it down to like certain groups, like what Mo was talking about. Because sometimes there's certain things that you know no one else was there. It had to be someone from the locker room. And then depending on who leaked it, to who they, who the players you see talking to certain reporters, you can, can kind of start getting an yeah. idea. It's funny, like, now that I'm in the, I guess we're all in the quote-unquote media space, right, on that side of things, I've had players reach out to me because stories have come out, and in their mind, they can't address the story, right? They can't address the story head-on. Like, they, they'll get interviewed about it, and they have to, they have to just be kind of PC about it. Like, oh, like, uh, I'd rather not comment. I want to just focus on playing, blah, blah, blah. Because you got to be careful, because no one's bigger than the club, right? And if you're someone who's speaking out, how is that going to help you get other deals in the future to, to, to go to other clubs, to your right. point? So they've reached out to me like, hey, look, I need this to kind of be done anonymously. Is there someone that you can put me in touch with? Is there, is, is there a journalist that you trust who can get out what I want to get out there just so that my side of the story is heard? What's your answer to that? Why would I not? If I can help facilitate that. Who's then your the... journalist? Listen, man. Oh, <laughs> man. This is, the, this is your messy book here. Oh, gosh, sorry. Oh, is it there? Yes, it's right here, if I can reach it. You just done an, an update to it, right? You've added, yes. so you added the Miami era. You added the we World go, Cup. Everybody? Yeah. Uh, Does World it come Cup. any any versions that are thicker than that? Dude, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Is this too no, much? That looks like a Game of Thrones book. Dude, that's it's an encyclopedia. I'm messy. But you want the whole story? Or Is there any, you want a picture of the story? Oh Is there any pictures God. in there? How about you? I like, I like stories with pictures. Eighth, eighth grade <laughs> reading and writing pictures. level. Isn't that what you said, Clint? <laughs> <laughs> writing, not reading. Okay. <laughs> you, you'd be able to finish that by the time you're 50. Does that put you off when you see a book that thick? It's intimidating. Really? Yeah. But like for you, process. When you're when you're about to write a book, you get the phone call. Hey, we're gonna do this. To having it be ready, how long does it take for you? Takes uh, about two years. Two years. Two years and a half, something like that. But that's not the. That's that. That is just the first part. When you write it and you send it, and you have to edit it. I hate editing. Then you have to go through lawyers. Have you ever been sued? So in the messy book, I tell a story about Cristiano that I shouldn't have put in the messy book because it was about Cristiano. Uh, and it was that when, um, when he goes into the changing room, he looks for who the enemy is in that case, and for a long time it was Messi. And he used to call Messi motherfucker. 
So I put that in in uh, message book to say, look, these guys are warriors. From the moment they get into the changing room, it's like, who's the enemy? You know, and and that's what Cristiano used to. But that was a period in which Cristiano and his people were trying to change his image into being like a really really nice guy. Uh, <laughs> Not say that he isn't, but they make mm. a really big effort <laughs> to, uh, to actually for everybody to think that way, and of course that comes out. Now um, it was going to be in Old Trafford, Argentina, Portugal, international break. No stories in the papers at that point. Nobody cares or cared so much about it. And then somebody found it in the book that I done that with the Messi book. I put that in the Messi book. Parallel to that, I had spoken. You do you do Messi. You have to do Cristiano. So I spoken to Chris and said, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna do this book. It's not your book, uh, and I spoke to George Mendes, his agent. Not your book is is my book, but I want to explain via you who you are, what you've done, whatever. And uh, Mendes, George Mendes, his agent, said to me, uh, right, we're gonna do it. Uh, you're a good guy. I've been asking around. You're a good guy, but don't fuck me around. I thought, what does that mean? <laughs> I said, well, let's go for a coffee and let's discuss this thing. And I thought, once I sit down with him, he'll understand what I'm trying to do. But then somebody picked that thing from the messy book, published it, and I became the, I was at the eye of the hurricane. It was horrendous. So every time any of you go through anything like that, I'm thinking, bloody hell. That was the two of the worst days of my life because all the news bulletins in Spain had that story. They all wanted to talk to me. I disappeared for two days. I did not want to be the story, but that also meant uh, that Cristiano went onto his Facebook and says, uh, this is a lie, I'm going to take this guy to court. Did any of you get a call from a lawyer from Cristiano Ronaldo? Because I didn't. Because no. <laughs> I didn't publish it, just really, obviously double check, triple check, whatever. Why, why would you ever have said to Mendes, this is not your book, this is my book? Why wouldn't you have asked him to collaborate or them to collaborate? Because. They, they'll have the opportunity to earn millions on doing their autobiography. That's a completely different book. And if they want me to be the ghostwriter, fine. Uh, you know, Cristiano at eight could not sleep because he didn't smell of alcohol. He needed to bring his dad out of the bar. They all slept in the same room. And with the smell of alcohol, he will sleep better. His dad was an alcoholic. In his Familiarity. Book, he, he will not tell that story. But that tells a lot about an absent dad an absent mom that because dad was an alcoholic, she had to do a lot of work for everyone. She never was home. So he, he has been brought up without borders, which means that he could fly. He could be whatever he wanted. He could dream of the biggest things because nobody stopped him and said, no, you have to go to school. Uh, that also has consequences. Mom has been feeling guilty all her life because she feels that she abandoned his son who then rescued at 18 kind of thing. She went back to Lisbon to live with him because she felt, now I can look after you. And those things are fascinating because it tells a story, untold story of elite players. So that, that's like, let me tell that story. And George Mendes agreed. And then Cristiano put a up that post. And that post, that Facebook post that he sent to his 100 million followers or whatever, is the beginning of the book. Did Messi ever reach out to you, or did you ever have any contact with him? And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, uh, from that moment, this is uh, Leo Messi's world is very small, very, very small. The people that work with him, have worked with him for a long time. Uh, he's got Pepe Costa, who's next to him constantly as a, as a personal assistant. 
anyway, I could name the four or five people that are always with him. And, and at that point, having done the book, they started calling me to do um, commercial events with him. So we sold shaving things and we, show, we sold phones and we sold all kinds of things. Uh, not only that has helped me evaluate his progression from being somebody that at 22, 23 was like, oh my God, you know, it's like, Leo, it's okay, it's only 15 people. No, we cannot deal with this. To now, Ballon d'Or, talking hardly without any preparation and just telling the world what he feels at that moment and, and sharing it with the world. So that, that was great to see, but that meant I was part of that little, little, small circle. So, so he speaks you. English, right? Because guys in inner Miami go, he's, he's trying to speak English. So like, where did I, that come from? I remember when, um, must have been six years ago, since uh, Manchester City were after him, and we all knew that Pep Guardiola was gonna go to Manchester City and the relationship that broke down at some point, but had, were already uh, getting closer again, and that, that was a possibility. City wanted Leo uh, uh, in Manchester. So I said, you're gonna have to start learning English. Oh yeah, doing some lessons. The following time will be like, hello. He wouldn't even answer hello, so. Hello means hola. <laughs> the lessons didn't go very far. Uh, and then when he went to Paris, um, I was one of the people that could interview him. And, uh, and I kind of joked off camera before we started kind of to relax him. I said, uh, so how's your English? Oh, you know, I can, I understand it a bit, he said. Uh, oh, I said, you mean so you can tell referees off? Uh, because everybody speaks, is that right? All the referees speak English, don't yeah. they? Yeah. From whatever part of the world. So, so, oh yeah, yeah, so I could talk to the referees. But, you know, mm, fluently, I don't think it would be a language that he will speak, but certainly um, uh, he has learned a little bit. But he lives in Miami, I've just been in Miami, you don't need English. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, need English. you can get him on kicking it for us, right? <laughs> if you speak to him in Spanish, we'll all learn Spanish. Soy bilingüe. You know what I mean? The, the, the person you wanted to do the next one on is a player or, or a manager? Still trying to figure that out. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> it's still in my head. I prefer to tell a manager's story like I did with Pochettino. So, Jose Mourinho? I asked Joseph to do the book before Pep. He said no. And when I did Pep book, <laughs> he changed his tone with me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We used to, when he was in Madrid, he used to email literally from 8 to 8.15 in the morning, 20 emails to do, to do. It was like the early WhatsApp, I imagine. Uh, and then when I, um, when I did the Pep book, our relationship became, instead of friendly, professional. Between those two, Pep and, and Mourinho, like, who did you discover more about? I followed them very, very closely, both of them. And Jose is such an intelligent man but I will always tell him the same. You did not need to divide my country to win a game. You didn't. That's not sport. Sport should be about improving yourself, respecting the authorities, respecting the rival, respecting the referee, and try to beat the best and get that way to be the best you can he, be. He created too much hatred around that Real Madrid-Barcelona game. It was awful. It was awful. It was awful. Um, to a point that was personal in many cases, and he's like, there's no need. And I know that a little bit of the story of Pep leaving Barcelona, many from Madrid will tell you that ah, he was just so fed up with the whole Jose Mourinho thing that he thought he had to escape. No, it wasn't that. But he, he didn't, Jose didn't make 
being a manager of Barcelona at that time, being a manager of the best team we've ever seen, perhaps the best team in the world, at that point he didn't make it enjoyable. And okay, elite shouldn't be enjoyable, maybe, but it just made it really tragic and divided a country. Divided even the, the Santiago Bernabeu. Fans ended up being with and against. There's, there's no need. But you need a lot of intelligence, capability of manipulating, and understanding humans to be, able, yeah, okay. to be able to do all that. You mentioned World Cup. And obviously, Mo and I and Clint and I were, were there together. Uh, Charlie, I know obviously you were following it closely. One of the, the stories that just resonated so hugely and was, and was so tragic back here in the US was the story around Grant Wall, who's a fellow journalist, a friend of yours. And I remember the night that we were doing a show and the news started filter, to filter into the studio, Grant Wall has died. And I just remember thinking, that can't, that can't be true. There's some, something must be wrong here. You at the time were, were living with him. This is something that you guys did every World Cup, every major tournament that you guys covered together. There was a group of journalists, I think you, Grant, Rafa Honigstein, maybe. And so you were staying in this home together. I think you'd gone to the game where he collapsed and later died. Um, you'd gone there together. So left the, left the house as a normal day, or, or what was that like? So he, from day one, he was working so hard. And from day one, he complained that he was tired, that he was tired. And, uh, and there was many journalists that got uh, called and they went to hospital and were given uh, paracetamol or whatever it was. And he had done that as well. Uh, so I'd gone, I'd gone back to England for, for a game and then came back uh, and he felt he was tired and that he had been given the tablets but weren't working. And then the next day we, we waited for each other. So it was, um, it was uh, James Honcastle. Uh, it was Gran and I went to the stadium. And uh, we weren't sitting too far apart. Uh, and there was, you know, you, you know if you feel when something is wrong, things are happening, there's noises, there's movement that is the not energy unusual. The energy changes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I got a call from James Holcastle and says, uh, Grand has collapsed. So well, what do you mean? It's like, hey, this is in the middle of the, uh, of the game, uh, Argentina, Holland, wasn't it? And. Yeah, when, when obviously head was gone and started run to where he was, they're trying to resuscitate him. And eventually, a long time after that, they, they took him away. Uh, James and I left the stadium, uh, went to the, to the hospital and waited for, I don't know how long it was, half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, and we got in touch with his, with, uh, with his wife and um, I was like, he's gone. It's like, how do you mean? It's like, gone. Did, did you have the conversation with her? Yes. Well, no, James, James rang her and then I, I spoke to her as well. Um, Infantino, the president of, uh, of FIFA, came over as well uh, just to, to present his respects and to see he heard something had happened. Was he, was he ever revived at the stadium or had he no, died on site? He, he just a, a, a vein burst. Something that he had in him and at some point was going to happen and could not be identified. And uh, I think James, James wanted to go after that, so he left very soon after that. Left I, Qatar? Left Qatar altogether. We weren't there. I wasn't there. But 
Messi was doing his thing, and uh, and I I, f I felt I needed to be there. Um, we needed to tell uh, who Graham was, is was, because because his, his influence is still there. So much so that to hear him in in the CBS documentary would be uh, absolutely wonderful. He was very very proud of it, showed me bits of it, um, and and he was a. Uh, He's referenced already. Uh, I think it was off yep. camera. Clint, you mentioned yep. him. So, because he was one, he was the the big reference of uh, of sports journalism and writing. Uh, he, if I I knew who he was and what he did and how he did it, but the, we always make sure that there is a swimming pool wherever we stay in World Cups, European Championships, and there was a pool in the in the place. For me, the pool is the place to actually disappear. You know, go into the pool and relax and whatever. And I thought for him it was the same. So when the first day they were pulled together, there were some people hanging around. It, it's like pull, people. And I go pull. He goes, people. <laughs> <laughs> and starts talking to the people and he gets an amazing story that then he tells us. Somebody, well, it's a long story, but anyway. So I thought, ah, that's your magic. And, uh, and that's what, you know, if I think at times where you want pool and you have to go people. It's like, Grant would have gone there, so let's go people. When we were there for that and, and Grant's passing, I remember like s having feelings of like, similarly questioning myself, like, do I really need to still be here? I'm just curious, like as you had conversations with those who were even closer to him, like obviously yourself, but those in the journalist space, what kind of impact and, and how did they all handle that moment as well? You, you wonder, what we're doing here? What is it for? What? What? Where do we go next? Or what? You know, uh, have you got the balance right? And I've personally done a big effort to balance things out. I have. So that's tribute to uh, to Grant as well. The that, lasting uh, impact. That made us think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I didn't know that you wondered, man. Do I really need to be here? It, it was just a weird feeling because, like, I was like, I'm here to talk about people kicking a ball and. He came here for that same purpose, and he's not getting—he's not returning home. I just kept thinking about everything, like the different layers to it. The phone call his wife's receiving, the phone call that she's receiving. You have to come over here and identify his body. Like all that, it was just like—it hit me hard. Just—I don't know if it's because I have younger kids, but I just started thinking in my head the idea of like Michelle receiving that call, trying to convey that message to my kids. Like I was like, bro, I need to. <laughs> I yeah, for a moment there, I just was second guessing my me being there. It's logical. The, the, uh, I remember looking around and there was all, there was extra time and, and, and everything else that was going in that game. And it was like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like, it was surreal. Why, why, why haven't they not stopped? Why, why, why is the world still going on? Why is it still spinning? I'm curious, like, the evolution of the game, right? There's been so many changes from from the introduction of VAR to expanding the World Cup, and you've covered this game, this sport, for too much time, right? And so I'm just curious your perspective on how the game has evolved and changed. Do you think it's? Do you think some of the changes have been good and impactful? Are you optimistic? Are you are you bullish about the direction the game is heading, or do you miss some of the some of the old days? Uh, the, the technology uh, it's here to stay. I understand that, and and it's useful for some stuff. VAR just just multiplies the controversy because at the end it's people using it. So, so I agree that. with that for sure. That's in terms of, of the technology. But if you talk about evolution, for me, one of the most fascinating stories and being able to write about him 
and follow it closely and seeing it, it's what Pep has done, Pep Guardiola has done with football. That is just, we, we've seen a genius at play. Uh, he's, he's, he's taking football to another place. And the amazing thing was that he has been uh, able to explain what this evolution is. And we've studied it and through it, we, we understood football better. Uh, I got my coaching badges because I wanted to know even more. And, and he's taking yeah, football to an, another level. Not everyone understands it. Uh, he's still doing that in front of our eyes and in the most difficult of leagues. That is, that is amazing. And the also amazing thing is that who's going to follow that up? Because he's got two more years left at club football. Shall and after that, that's it. So he's, he's going to have you this You say year. that with confidence? I'm convinced. Two years, end You're of his contract. You're convinced because he told you? It's, it's I love asking Guillaume these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see him going into international? Uh, coach, yeah. coach in the US Definitely. team? US, oh, oh, Wait, wait, England. no, I wasn't finished with the question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's move on quickly. Uh, no, I, th I think in his mind he's had this idea that uh, at some point, you know, his back is killing him, he had an operation, um, he's better now, but if he cannot physically give absolutely everything, then maybe the time is to actually slow down and do something else. And Meaning always, national team? Yeah, he always had the, the idea of, uh, of a break and the national team. And national team, he, he can choose England, Italy, Holland, Argentina, not sure Brazil. England, please. Would, would he consider US, do you think? I think if he, you have to give him the, because uh, people use so many sticks against him, but one, one of them is, yeah, but he has really good players to win. And it's like, well, if you're a NASA astronaut, you're not going to give him a Vespa to go to the moon, are you? I mean, you've got this guy that is a genius. Give him everything to see how far he can take the game, which he's doing, taking it further than anybody else we know. So give him the opportunity to win, and then maybe. So I, if I think you gave, England. Do you think England? England? I think England. I think England. Wow. He would love because he's been there so long. And he's dealt with the players. He's improved the players. Uh, how, roughly how often would you say you speak to Pep? Uh, Pretty often. Mm, when it's necessary, let's put it that way. What, what, is his, what does he do in the off-season? Where does he spend his time? Uh, he used to be learning and mixing with people and whatever, now he's golf and resting. Does he we're, ever we're come trying to, to dig into this England topic here, Mo. What, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, hold on, I'm just gonna, I got Does he ever spend time in, I don't know, New York City? Uh, I'm not sure if he's come back. I don't know. Obviously, he stayed here for in his sabbatical, um, and he's one of his favorite cities. I think you brought up a good point. Who's next? Uh, and I feel I've got that it. I've got the answer to that. Xabi Alonso is the next manager, right? He, okay. He's played under Pep. He's played under Ancelotti. He's played under Jose Mourinho, Rafa Benitez, and what he's been able to do with this Leverkusen but, side. Didn't he say before it wasn't that he said answer, Busquets though. would be a good coach, didn't he? I, I tell you what I think. Uh, Xabi Alonso. So he goes to buy a Leverkusen and thinks, uh, if it doesn't work well, I go to Real Sociedad and start over. If it goes well, Real Madrid or Liverpool. So he's going to have a, and it's going so well, that next, whenever that is, it'll be Liverpool or Real Madrid. That, that's, that's the plan, the master plan. He's not doing anything that is like absolutely new, but he's doing a mixture of things that allow the team to win. But just very briefly, Pep Guardiola taught us a new way of building from the back of getting the ball through the middle, of actually preparing for the last pass. He's done all that and he's new. He's got two years left. The next step will be to organize attack. So attack where, forget your instinct, you're gonna have to do what has been trained. 
it goes against your instincts. You don't want to do it. Players don't want to do it. He will need another 10 years to get there. And he will know how to, and he would. But he's got two years. So now he got a guy that scores the goals and four centre-backs playing. So the, the areas, are, the boxes are uh, sorted. Let somebody else get with the evolution of football. And there's only one manager that has understood that and has put in practice the next phase, the organise of the attack. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who is it? Drum roll. And it's Roberto De Zerbi. Oh. Wow. Roberto De Zerbi. They speak for hours. They, and they speak in the language that only them two understand. <laughs> when they're talking, everybody leaves the room after half an hour because they don't understand what they're talking about. And Pepper's taking things from Brighton, and Roberto Zerbi's Brighton, obviously the other way around as well, uh, because they, Pepper thing understands the, that's the that's the guy. So I think he could end up being his replacement at City and take take football to another level. If he had the choice between the US men's national team, who'd be going into a pivotal World Cup 2026, right? And the English national team stacked with talented players. Who do you think he would choose? US for as somebody sure. who speaks 100%. to him. To, to, to do well with US, the golden I'm generation for 2026, you said? To, to be able to make these guys take it to the next level, everybody would be like even more of a genius. Do to any do it of with you England, speak to it, went, it just wouldn't be as impressive. Wouldn't you want to do the, the most impressive but he's thing? A, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have time to work with them and, as a national coach. He doesn't. He if, doesn't. You're, if you're an F1 driver, do you want to drive a Ferrari or a, or a Fiat? Well, hold on, we, we, we oh, hey, hey, don't hate on Fiat. Bro, you, you, on, you see that Fiat in the hey, World Cup? I could put some different engine in that thing, get some nitros. You don't even know what I'll be doing in that thing. <laughs> but I think this is also important context. With the national team, you're taking the best players. So it's not that you need to re-educate them. Unless and, you have educated them already. Which would be the well, case well, there's not. with an English national team. Yeah, but who? Bellingham. That's Guillaume's I'm answer, everybody. I'm not Saka or Jude Bellingham? No, but Saka, who's managing Saka? Mikel. Who is? A disciple. Who was managing Jude Bellingham? Say, at Borussia Dortmund, they followed his, his teaching very closely. Hey, Gio was at Dortmund? Yeah, Gio. So was Christian. I should just have terms of club. I just think that is, uh, but but we're talking what 2026. So Gareth Southgate, what do we do with him? Listen, if Pep's on the market. <laughs> oh, so you just you're saying bin him now? I even even it, if he were to win the Euros, you would bin him. For Pep? You'd bin him. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. messed up. Look hey, at you. Hey, Look at you. Hey, some people just <laughs> say loyal you. these days. Loyalty. The way Gareth the way is. The way Gareth is. He'd step aside. I think you would. You, you can have This is Pep. crazy. Uh, it may not ever happen. <laughs> but I think it'll go like, Pep, are you ready? You know, he's had a long time with the national side. And I think if, I think if Pep watched the game against the US versus England in the last World Cup, yep. he's saying, yeah, there's something with I that I did US that mistake team. once. I was a Barcelona fan as a kid, and Espanol beat Barcelona at 7-2, and I thought Espanol is better. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll do that. I'll do that. Look, see, you've come here with the, the print, the flowers, the, all of it, and then you look at these three variations of brown. 
Yeah, but it's cool. They, they're cool, yeah. It could this be is me. Like this that. is me dressing yeah. up. I know. I knew that Mr. G was going to be here, you know. That's why I wasn't cool, turning up wearing it? my Crocs, you know. I was trying to... Yeah, but it could be cooler, couldn't it? Uh, that, I don't know. They're just, they're just... Sometimes it's, it's, it's how you walk and how you talk that makes you cool, not what you wear. Right. I've got the, the look, but, you know, need to improve you're, on the other bits. You're sponsored by a company, though, is that right? You you get your shirts for free? Yeah, I, I went to a shop and I was like, uh, oof, I wanted this, this, this. And the eight shirts I got, they were all Guy London. <laughs> and I thought, I, I talked to my agent, I said, um, would you just give them a call? I and guess say I like that, them, yeah. yeah. I want to wear them, and every three months I get this massive box with oh, that's full awesome. of stuff. Well, here you it's go, send, send some the boys way. You want to send some of the boys' way? We love I free. Think I love free. Three ninety nine is the <laughs> best price We love ever. free. I'm not going to deny that. Did you do? You, do you have any spares? I've got a couple of shirts that I brought. Actually, I, I wonder what you will feel by wearing them. <laughs> Who Let's wants to be out. the volunteers? Because I've got them. Here we go. Lucas got them. I rock everything. Now I'm. Yeah. See, I'm. Uh, oh, I take the dark one. Octopus, the dark elephants. 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 My shoes. I'm a big elephant guy, but I can rock this too. You're a big elephant guy. Clint, you're left out. You didn't have anything for Clint. Sorry. Let you me see this. Baller on a budget. What, over the turtleneck? Mo, you okay. grabbed that really quick. It, it goes well with my it goes, already. It goes. <laughs> so, so, all right, come on, Charlie. Come on, let's shirt. see, Charlie. <laughs> let's see it. You can't just no, get it. You have to put it, it, it on. You want me to go change and do all that? You can't put it on over your, over your turtleneck? Turtleneck? Oh, damn, relax. Jim, yeah. it has been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. It's been awful. Long time yes, friend, long time colleague. Definitely. Long may it stay so. I appreciate yeah, you. Sure Thank you for coming. Thank you. Always good to see you. Oh. Now you brilliant. heard you heard Thank what he you. said. It's not about you know the shirt. It's about the way you walk. Yeah, the way you, you, wear, you know like, I got the walk. You know I got the walk. Let's see this appreciate walk. Appreciate you, my man. Okay, yeah. Mo. Yeah. Okay, Mo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Man.